Welcome to the New Hope Sermon of the Week. We hope you are encouraged by this message by Pastor Tom Sturbins. Grab your Bibles, your iPads, iPhones, tablets, smartphones, whatever you have. Get it ready to turn in Scripture. I'm going to give you a couple of places to go. It'll be on the screen. This is Valentine's Week, okay? What a great week this is, Valentine's Week. So let me tell you what to do. Matter of fact, I hadn't planned on turning and, and reading it, but let me do this. I'm going to give you, you guys, instead of going out and looking through and buying a cheesy Valentine's card, uh, I'm going to give you the opportunity to rescue yourself, all right? Here it goes. Let me see how many do we have here. Uh, one, two, three. I should know this. Four, five, six, seven, eight, nine. I thought there was ten. Oh, there is ten. Okay, ten. All right, great. I was quoting that to a pastor yesterday. Love is patient. Love is kind. Love is not jealous. And is not jealous. Does not brag. Is not arrogant. Does not act unbecomingly. It does not seek its own. It's not provoked does not take into account a wrong suffered, does not rejoice in unrighteousness, but rejoices in truth, bears all things. No, there's more than that. Believes all things, hopes all things, uh, endures all things. I think there's about 13 items there. Now, so here's your task. To every married couple here especially, or if you're dating, courting, whatever, it may work, okay? But uh, you're going to write, you're going to go to 1 Corinthians 13, 4, uh, through eight, uh, through through seven, and you're gonna you're gonna go line by line. You ready? Um, I'm. We're doing a this Friday. We're doing a. Uh, Brenda and I are doing a marriage conference out of town uh, for another church, and and I told her yesterday. I said this is the task I'm gonna give them on Friday night. You're gonna write down love is patient, and so I will not be quick to run my mouth when I want to win an argument. That would be what Tom would write. Okay, love is patient, and so I will. I'm going to save you $7 on a Valentine's card. And guys, I can tell you for sure, this will be something your wife will cherish more than one you can buy at CVS, Walgreens, Walmart, or wherever. And all the women said, see, I've just leveraged that terribly. And you can say, well, that's not my thing. All you got to do is try. If that's not your thing, you said, dude, I don't write. I just don't think poetically. Your wife already knows that. <laughs> just that you would try is sort of like me finally surrendering to my wife when she said, will you dance with me? And for years I said, no, I look stupid. And what on earth is wrong with me that I would tell her no, whether I look stupid or not? that I was willing to advance my coolness above her simple, just innocent desire to, will you do that? And so finally, I don't know, how long ago was it? About five years ago? After, how many years of marriage is that? I don't even want to say it out loud. I don't want to admit that stupidity existed for more than 30 years. Finally, somehow I got over myself and did, okay, I can't preach on every one of these. All right. Uh, Love is kind. and And because of that, I will. Fill in the blank. And it's not jealous. And because of that, I will. Everybody got that? That's all there is to it. There's your Valentine's card. You're going to save money. You guys, you're going to rock her world. And by the way, and don't use it as an opportunity to preach. Everybody hear me? Indirectly. You know what I'm talking about? Subliminal little twist. Love is patient. And because of that, 
I will endure you being obnoxious. You know, that, that, don't write that. Do not write that. That's not where we're going here. God will strike you with toenail fungus if you do that, okay? Now, here we go. Here's your Valentine's Day message. Recently, God, I just declared to you that this is a place of encounter. Please hear me, because uh, I hope to remember this. Um, sometime back, we were, we were studying again on the concept of truth or on hiddenness. And I noted in the book of John, it says that the word of truth, the word of God is the word of truth. It unhides us. It takes us from the places we hide from God. And there's a lot more teaching that goes with that if you're new to New Hope. But it says the word of truth is empowered by the Spirit, the Holy Spirit of truth. So here's what I pray. No matter where you start, you, one, you're gonna, if you start with the Holy Spirit of truth, he's going to bring you to the word of truth. He always will. If you start with the word of truth, the word of truth is going to take you to an encounter with the spirit of truth. This is a place of encounter. We believe that you encounter the word of uh, that God through the word of truth and through acts of worship, you encounter the spirit of truth. But that's what we pray happen here every week in Jesus name. And everybody said, amen. Okay. Now tomorrow night prayer, seven o'clock. Don't forget that. I wrote that note. And I want to say it again. But by the way, let me read this, this quote to get it off my chest. It's a quote from Francis Chan in his latest book, Letters to the Church. Prayer is not merely a task of ministry. It is a gauge that exposes our heart's condition. It unveils pride, showing us whether or not we believe we are powerless apart from God. So uh, uh, I encourage you to come and join. It's about an hour long, right about that. And uh, we start off with a uh, just a, a quick five, seven minute word of exhortation about prayer. Tomorrow night, Pastor Mark Gallo is going to come back and, and open that with that exhortation and prayer. And then we worship, we enter his courts with praise and thanksgiving. And then we turn to prayer, praying for this church, praying for people here and praying for the needs of, of our city. Okay, good. Uh, here's the title of today, Love and Mercy. What's love got to do with it? You have to have lived in the 70s to appreciate the title. What's love got to do with it? If you have no idea what that means, Google it, and you're going to hear a great R&B song, and it will make you worship. It's not a worship song, okay? What's love got to do with it? It says just a secondhand emotion. Oh my, we know that's not true if we are followers of Christ. I want to talk about love and mercy real quickly. Ephesians chapter 2, verse 4, you need to read the whole segment through verse 9, but verse 4 Watch this. But God being rich in mercy because of his great love with which he loved us. And it goes on to say, because of that, he came to the earth. And, and this is, a, this is a, a text that goes right alongside another passage of scripture that the same guy, the apostle Paul, also wrote. He wrote Ephesians. He wrote Romans. In Romans chapter 5 and Ephesians chapter 2, uh, both say the same thing. Uh, let me skip down to it. It says, verse 8, for by grace you have been saved through faith. Hallelujah. And here was something we studied years ago when we were doing a series on grace, that there's never an expression of grace where faith is not required, but there's never an expression of faith where grace is not released. Praise God. There's never an expression of grace where faith is not required, but there's never an expression of faith where grace is not released. That's good news. Grace is the pushback of God. All right, back to verse 4. It says, because God has uh, rich in mercy, abundant in mercy, because of his great love. Now, the working definition for mercy around here that you've heard many, many times in the last five years, 
Mercy is, uh, I need to move, so oh, you got it right there, okay? Mercy, God refusing to join me in my or any opinion of me above his opinion of me. Now, this is biblically and linguistically based, and especially so in the New Testament. We're going to look at the Old Testament reference. It takes two words to sort of make up the one word for mercy in the New Testament, but the 74 occasions if you, uh, that it appears in the New Testament, if you stick in there, the say no of God. God refusing to join me in the opinion or an identity that has been given to me outside of him. God will not join us in that. Why? Because it empowers our own destruction every time. And I, don't, I didn't send this one to Amanda, but sin, the definition, is the point at which I accept any other opinion of me above God's opinion of me. And let me go ahead and finish a little run of four. I have about 12 of these that uh, that, that I've reduced uh, some key notes of scripture to. But confession, homologeo, mean, the word means to say the same thing as. So confession, watch, is the point at which I accept God's opinion of me above my opinion of me. Now let me say those again. It, aren't you grateful that God stands right about here and says, I am not going to reinforce your opinion of you. And that first expression happens at the east of Eden where he posts seraphim and said, I'm not going to let you get back to the tree of life where you can partake of that tree of life and see the tree of life had the power to perpetuate whatever state that soul was in. And I, be, I believe that's the inference of that. Well, it said that they had entered into death when they crashed and burned. And God said, I don't want you perpetually existing in a state of deathness. I want to be able to bring life back to you. And so he posts those seraphim. Uh, I believe is a great expression of mercy. As a matter of fact, watch this. For those of you who are Bible students especially, when they would fashion the Ark of the Covenant and place it in the tabernacle and in the temple, the Ark of the Covenant was placed in the very center and most holy place where God's presence would appear uh, before the high priest on single occasions. And it said it would appear in the mercy seat. Now, I should have thought, I, did, I just didn't think to, 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 to have this ready. Uh, if I were to show you a picture of the Ark of the Covenant, see the mercy seat was right in the center of this Ark or big box that was covered in gold. And on each of the corners was, were a, uh, a representation of the seraphim. Watch there. See, the seraphim were right there preserving mercy. Oh my, what a beautiful picture. See, here's some of the examples. When the blind man cried out to Jesus, son of David, have mercy on us. They didn't even know what they were asking for. Son of David, please refuse to join us in the identity that's been given to us. What was his identity? They were blind men. It says Jesus stopped and healed him. When he walked away, their identity had shifted. You couldn't walk away singing three blind mice anymore. These guys were not blind. An encounter with God shifts our identity. When Paul would write, he said, I was a blasphemer. He says, I was a murderer. I, I, I persecuted members of the church. And yet God, great in his mercy... Stop me on the road to Damascus, knocked me off of my donkey onto my backside and said, I will not join you in this journey. I will not join you and empower you. Paul said, God, great in his mercy, refused to empower what I had believed that was not God's purpose. Okay? That's pretty much the focus on Valentine's week, understanding that love and mercy undeniably travel together. Now I'm going to give you a passage of scripture from the Old Testament that I believe is so beautiful. It's from the Minor Prophet. Minor meaning just one of the shorter books, not that it's less, a lesser of importance. 
But the book of Hosea is an amazing story. God reaches out to the prophet and he says, I want you to marry a prostitute. What's up with that? I want you to marry a prostitute and I want you to, you're going to have children with her and uh, uh, and, and one of them, I, the first one, I think, is going to be going to be named. Uh, you, you don't have mercy, and you're not my people. He had two children. One was in, one was called Lo Ruami, I believe, and the other one was Lo Ami, uh, and the and it meant uh, you're not a people, and there's no mercy. Oh my goodness! Isn't it amazing that that Peter, a good Jewish boy, in his pronouncement of the gospel in First Peter chapter two, he said, "You were once a people who were not a people, but now you are a people." He quotes it. He says, "And now we, you've been called forth from darkness into light, that we should show forth the excellencies of Him who has called us." That's who we are. God reached into our life and said, I will not join you where you are. I'm going to stand as a force right here, and I'm going to call you out of that identity that you've accepted about yourself. I'm going to press through till every lie crumbles. That's what mercy does. That's what mercy does. We believe all the wrong things about ourselves. And what happens when you begin to believe mercy? Here's what happens. You dance with your wife after 35 years. Because you get over yourself. Whose opinion matters? People in that room that I don't even know because I don't dance well? Whose opinion matters? What's wrong with me? That woman next to God, there is the love of God as far as I'm concerned. I want to tell you, when mercy touches your life, things change. Things change. You start to get over yourself because you, believe, you suddenly become aware you believe the wrong opinion about yourself. Now, I'm going to give you five points that will tell you how to get people to mercy. You ready? I will send you the notes. All you got to do is send me an email to Tom, Tom, that's T-O-M, very simple, my name, at newhopeonline, all one word, tom at newhopeonline.com. You send it to me and say, I'd like those notes. I'm going to send it to you. They'll be up here on the, on the screen. Hosea chapter 2. God's reaching out. By the way, why would he tell him to marry a, a prostitute or an adulteress? Because the nation of Israel was following, and Judah, were following after idols. And they said, you were committing spiritual adultery. And he says, I, 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 unfortunately, Hosea, you're going to be used as the model about how I bring people back. And just early on into the book, chapter 2, verse 19, he makes the pronouncement to be clear. He says, I will betroth you to me forever. How many know that's good news? Go ahead and say amen. It is good news. That's not a trick, trick question. I will betroth you. That's the extending of covenant to me forever. That's good news. Yes, I will betroth you to me. Here it comes. In righteousness, in justice, loving kindness, and in compassion, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. Okay? There are four things that end up in one. Now, and again, I'll be thrilled to send you these notes. By the way, I can't tell you the number of times in 20 years that I have used this in counseling with people. When they're in relationship, when they have a children who are growing up and doing, uh, when they get to the threshold of adulthood and they begin to do things and they leverage and, and tug on your heart or in marriage relationships, how to negotiate. You know, because here's, let me just go ahead and give away the secret. If you're a follower of Christ, the fact that you say you love Jesus, often by those around you who may find themselves 
Listen, in psychological and emotional dysfunction, they will leverage your declared love against you. Here's how it goes. Well, if, if, if you really love God, you wouldn't treat me that way. You don't have to raise your hand. But if you haven't been there, at some point you will. Oh, you say you're a Christian, but how can you treat me that way? Because I can guarantee you, if you follow these steps, you're going to hear that response because that's what they were saying to God. So God said, I'm going to do uh, five things here, four plus one. And he says, I'll betroth you to me in faithfulness. And then it lands here. And then you will know me. The word know, yada, uh, is, is a word that it can mean knowledge, but it m- more often than not expresses intimacy, even sexual intimacy between a husband and wife. And it's an intimate knowledge. And God says, I want to know you and for you to know me intimately. So here we go. You ready? Okay. We're going to move pretty quickly. Number one, righteousness is God's way. Okay. I want you to say out loud, God's way. Is that big enough for you to read it? Okay. I think she's going to list them for us. That he says, righteousness, justice, loving kindness, compassion, and in faithfulness. So how will we live? Okay. Uh, righteousness is the word that represents, generally speaking, the orderedness of God. The word righteous and righteousness each appear about 300 times in the, throughout the Bible for a total of 600 times. Let me tell you where it lands in our face. It's, the word's not used, but the principle is. You pray it as often as you pray this prayer. Our Father, which art in heaven, hallowed, hagiazo, holy, holy and complete, lacking nothing, is the span or control of your influence. Onama, the word name. That's what that prayer means. Lord, our Father, my Father which art in heaven, you are whole and complete, lacking nothing, able to provide me everything. And the span of your control or influence is unintimidated, can't be threatened, can't be pushed back. Your authority is final. I come before that today. Now, how many know if I'm stepping before the absolute wizard of Oz of all time and space, pulsating source of energy, you can't even describe him. And I step before him. See, the next line of the Lord's prayer makes sense because it declares functional righteousness. My father, which art in heaven, you're whole and complete, lacking nothing. You are everything. And thus you have everything, all love, all mercy, all grace, everything I need to live a holy life. By the way, that is why he put the Holy Spirit in us. Here comes the next line. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth or right here as it is in heaven. How many know it is absolute common sense to step before the being that is everything, is all, has all. He doesn't know everything. He is all knowledge. He doesn't have all power. He is all power. Soon to come, right after Easter, I'm going to get to those seven sayings of John. I am the bread. I am the life. I am the gate. I am the door. I am the shepherd. Uh, I am uh, the way, the truth, and the life. I am the vine. We're going to have a great time because we're going to discover the I am that is and declare you are. Praise God. Go ahead and say amen there, right there. It's important and it's going to come back. But he is the I am. How many know it makes sense if I step before the one who has everything, knows everything, who made me inform me, the next logical response is, well, you made me. You are everything, have everything, all power. So listen, why, why don't we make a deal here? I got a novel idea. Uh, why doesn't your will be done and your kingdom rule and authority? I just invite you to have complete rule and authority in my life. I know that that's a brand new idea, Father, but I've just come to suggest that. How, how, how many know that that's just common sense? 
Lord, I love you, praise you. I believe that you are everything, but I've got several ideas that are way better than yours. I don't know why I'm going to keep saying this over and over. It's like being a jerk and not dancing with my wife. What happens when, okay, I gotta, I just, I'm having way too much fun with that today at my own expense. Righteousness is God's way. Shout out God's way. Justice. I want you to think of a, of a, of a justice. Now I, I don't want to get derailed here into uh, any political stuff one way or the other, but our eyes and ears are full of not only watching the proceedings in the Senate uh, of the last week or two, but it was neat that, that in the Senate, uh, who was invited except not there, except on occasions such as this, was the chief justice of the United States. And on two or three occasions, some guys, some of the children were coloring outside the lines. And so he stepped up and said, okay, that's enough. Stop. You see, the justice has the final word. The one who is the justice. I'm not talking about just justice in terms of approaching it. In, we think of justice as equitability. I want us to see the justice as a person. He said, I, I am justice. You're gonna, here's how we're going to walk together. My way, my word is final. Okay? God's word is final. How does this work out? Let me just go ahead and build the bridges. If you're, have, you're building a relationship with a person who's on the fringe, this is Valentine's week. Love and mercy go together. Here's what love looks like. You sit them down, look in the face and say, listen, I've just sort of been refreshed and I, I want you to know that I'm, I'm going to be right here with you. But it's going to be God's way. You know my faith. We're going to walk and help towards to God's word, which means I'm not going to contribute. And where does that come from? Watch. The next one's loving kindness. The word haset is the Hebrew word that meant God refusing the right to abandon. I love one of the places it shows up. I think it's Psalm 63, where they declare, they sang uh, an old worship course going back to the 70s. Thy loving kindness is better than life. Why is this loving kindness better than my life? See, that's not just a lyric to a song. That is the psalm, a word of God, where they suddenly became aware that, Father, there have been good times and bad. There have been times when there's famine, there's ups and downs, there's ins and outs. But, Father, what we've discovered is that you're refusing the right to abandon. We sang the song, I am not alone that you will never abandon me. And Lord, I just want to come and praise you today and say that your loving kindness is better than anything in life that you may otherwise bring me. The fact that you will be there and you will never abandon me. How many are thankful for that today? Say amen. Well, what does that mean to us? Well, pastor, you put me in an uncomfortable place because I really do have some of these friends relationships, you know, some of those different people that is different. And you're telling me to go to them and say, I, I will never abandon you. I am. But see, the one word, Elios, in the Greek language in the New Testament, it really wraps up what mercy is. But it takes two in the Old Testament, I believe, to give us the two sides of the coin. Because both these words, loving kindness and compassion, are alternately translated mercy. Watch the next one. Uh, uh, it says, I will watch this. It says God's way, righteousness, justice, loving kindness, and compassion. The second one, Araham, is the one that comes closer to the New Testament, but it says this. Watch. The first one says, I won't abandon you, but this one says, I won't join you in your insanity. Now watch, watch. Here's how love works. What's love got to do with it? There's no love without mercy. There's no mercy without true love. 
And here's what true love looks like through the lens of mercy. It says, God rich in his mercy because of love. So I'm informing you about some of your friends' relationships and some of the behaviors that you may have in your home with your husband or wife. And do you empower them? Do you say, hey, I love you and what you're doing is cool? No. You say, listen, we're going to walk God's way. God's word is final. I won't abandon you. But watch this. Neither will I join you in that which will destroy you. Hear me. Hear me. And that's especially important if you're dealing with people who are trapped in some sort of addiction. I will not empower you. I'm not going to help you. I'm not. Watch. Do you know that more people in the name of misguided mercy have plucked people out of the hands of God when they finally hit the bottom, they're ready for a turn, and we come rushing in in the name of love and send them the money, do the thing, rescue them from this and that, just at the moment when God's got them at the place when they're about to listen. And who comes? Well, I'm coming because of love, love. That's not biblical love. That's not biblical love. You don't have to shout me down. That is not biblical love. It's Valentine's week. I'm telling you what love is about. It's going to be God's way. God's word is final. I refuse to abandon you, but I won't join you. And I love the last one. He says, and then uh, you will know me. Let me read the verse. I love the way it's phrased. It said, I will betroth you to me forever in righteousness, justice, loving kindness, compassion. Ah, and he rephrases, I will betroth you to me in faithfulness. What is faithfulness? Walk in the talk. Walk in the talk. Faithfulness is not just something you can think about or talk about. Well, I'm going to do that. God says, we've talked enough. There was a rich history of them running their mouth saying what they were going to do. God says, there's enough talk. I remember when we were first married, uh, I was a cop. She was a school teacher. And, And I mean, it was just the first months of marriage. And she was venturing into the land of of domestic faithfulness in cooking dinner for me when I was on a shift that I could get off and and I would work a a day where I either got off at three or five o'clock, then then she would prepare dinner. Well, I'd get off work and go to the gym to work out. Now, I got to tell you, when she first started doing this, it was horrible. She could not cook. It was very bad, very bad. You say, I can't believe you just threw her under the bus. She would tell you that. Now, Thanks to practice and as of the last decade, the Food Channel, she's like this chef person now. It's amazing. I mean, just absolutely amazing. We both love to cook. But she was faithful in trying and learning. And so just about every day, I don't know, for a month, six weeks, she, uh, she had texted her, are you on your way? Yeah, yeah, well, I'm, I'm hurrying. And then I'd come home an hour later. And finally, there was the pronouncement. I got home and there was no supper. I said, hey, what about supper? She says, I'm not cooking. Cooking, it sits here and it gets cold and we got to warm it and we got to do all of that. And I'm not doing that. I said, okay, listen. I said, I am really sorry. I promise I'll do better. Here's the first really great act of mercy that I can remember in our marriage of about eight months. Put her hand on her hip. She says, talk is cheap. I love that. (laughs) That should be a Bible verse, isn't it? Talk is cheap. That's what God says right here. See, faithfulness is not something you talk about or you just think about. And, you know, I've been thinking about being faithful. Great. It shows up on the surface of your skin. I like what uh, uh, Stephen uh, Covey said uh, about faithfulness. He says, you can't talk your way out of something you've behaved your way into. Ooh, come on, somebody. There's your takeaway. You can't talk your way out of something you've behaved your way into. 
Who here has tried? Raise your hand. Don't raise your hand. That's a, yeah, yeah, I'll be the only one. Just let me go there and be crucified on that cross by myself. All right. He says, and then you will know me intimately. So here's Tom's paraphrase on the screen. By the way, put that last screen back up because some of you may want to grab a, a screenshot of that or whatever. And you can. I will send you the notes, Tom at New Hope Online, but I'm giving you some great Valentine's stuff for you either to be a blessing or beat one another up with all week long. It's your choice how you use the Word of God, okay? So leave that up there. I see several of you grabbing a, a, a screenshot of that, okay? We'll leave it hanging. Five, four, three, two, one. Okay, you're done. If you're not, you're done anyway. I'll send it to you. Okay, here's Tom's paraphrase. You see it on the screen? You want to read it out loud with me? It's sort of long. That's just the first two or three lines. Uh, let's see. You can skip over everything in parentheses, all right? Because that's just reminding you where the phrase comes from. Here we go. Ready to open your mouth? We will do this God's way with God's word as the source of conduct. And while it is not my intention to abandon you, even so, I will not become a part of reinforcing the identity that sin would give you. Oh my goodness. When you have declared this intent by your consistent behavior and not just words, then and only then will a relationship of life exchanging intimacy be restored. Woo! Now, at, look at me, as we've learned through the years, the Word of God can either be a legalistic bludgeon or a tool of mercy. You see, you can take that paragraph from here and you can go home and try to, see, because you're exhausted with trying to pray heaven in them, so the default is let me beat the hell out of them. You can take those words on that screen and do either one. That is up to you. People have done it. The Pharisees are, are, are endless in Scripture. I would encourage you this week not to take this teaching or that phrase home and use it to beat the stuffing out of one another. It will do nothing, so just forget it. Just a matter of fact, if that's your intention, if you're sitting on the edge of your seat saying, I cannot wait to get in the car and just, just tell, mm, mm, mm. Listen, for those of you that may be postured like that, here's the prayer. Father, help them forget everything I just said. In Jesus' name, and shout amen right there. Okay, you say you don't want to do that. Stand to your feet. We're done. Um, now, um, come on. Thank you for joining us for the New Hope Sermon of the Week. For more information about this podcast or other resources, visit newhopeonline.com.